Wow, well, I feel like people came to worship today, so that's a great thing. Let me turn to my chapter here. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be a part of a church that wants to come on a Sunday and engage in worship. My name is Adam. I work on staff here with the students, um, as well as uh, some of the folks uh, who are about uh, college age in college. Uh, so if I haven't met you, I'd love to. One of my goals for the year is to know every single person's name uh, here at Mission View, and some of you have held me to that in a rather obnoxious way. No, I appreciate it, though. I've, I've learned some names. Julie Cash is back there. Hey, Julie. It's nice to see you again. Glad you're here. Uh, hey, we've, uh, we've been working through a series called Working for God, and it's about uh, 2 Corinthians. We've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church as co-workers or co-ministers of the gospel with him, and we only have one, uh, one more message, one more Sunday uh, in that series. However, uh, Steve couldn't be here this morning. Um, actually, he sent me a text, and so I'm just going to read it verbatim because I don't want to say something, say something wrong. Oh, Frank Streeter texted me. He's here somewhere. Somebody just texted me since I've been on stage saying, don't mess up. No pressure. Uh, Steve said, uh, please uh, go ahead and tell the church how much Lee and I value their prayers and so miss being together this week. Uh, he should be back next week, but uh, if you haven't heard, he's just uh, been going through the, through the gauntlet. So... Uh, make sure you keep them in your prayers. Let me, let me pray for Stephen Lee right now. God, thank you for uh, the faithfulness in the, in the ministry of, uh, of our lead pastor. Thanks for Steve. Thank you for uh, his desire to pursue you. Thank you for the fact that he loves you and the fact that he loves your church. Uh, God, we pray uh, for healing for him uh, by, by whatever means you would have that be accomplished, whether through it's the, the wisdom of doctors and the treatment that he's going through or through some sort of miraculous event. God, we uh, would not hold you to anything or put any restraints around what it is that you want to be done. Uh, for now, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to uh, come before you this morning, allow us to uh, be free of distractions uh, as we come to to hear the message and engage in worship. And I don't mean, God, that we, we feel like we have to check our emotions and our problems and things at the door, but rather we can come and lay them down at your feet knowing that you are God and you have everything in the palm of your hand. Uh, God, I, uh, I pray for anyone else uh, in the room who's experiencing uh, sickness, illness, uh, pain, uh, frustration. Um, I, I pray that uh, we would uh, set those at your feet this morning. For that in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to put a little, a little pause on working for God. And uh, in deciding what uh, we would talk about this morning instead, um, I pretty much had the whole Bible to choose from. And so I was trying to think to myself, what is, what is important? Where do I, where do I start? Uh, where's a, a good thing? Um, where's a good, uh, a good place to to go with the church, a good thing to bring up to the church, and I, my mind went to the, to the Great Commandment, and that's something that I, I recently was able to talk about with some students at Malone University, and so it's kind of been fresh on my mind this week, and uh, 
we talked a little bit uh, at Malone about about balance and and prioritization, uh, which is uh, you know some key topics in the in the life for a college student. Uh, we talked a bit a little bit about uh, a, a direction and a little bit about a foundation, and I think that talking about the great commandment is a good way to talk about all of these things at once. So I found a kind of a cheap way around talking about all of Scripture in the Great Commandment. Um, direction is a place you're going. It's a heading. Um, sometimes uh, in college or, or, or whenever in our lives, we can feel like we have a lack of direction. Um, we don't maybe know what we want. We don't maybe know what are some things to prioritize. We don't know what is important. And especially when you, when you go into college, they try to tell you that you need to, even before that, you need to have uh, the right college you want to go to in mind by the time you're a sophomore in high school. And then that college will decide your future. You've got to pick your major, and you've got to stick with that major. And there's, you're not to switch, and you've got to find the right school for that major. And that major is going to decide your job, and, and that job is going to decide your, your success in life. And uh, it, it goes even, even earlier than that. And I, I feel like uh, oftentimes when you're in college, you're, you're told you need to have your direction. You need to know what is important. You need to know what you want right from the get-go. Uh, here's an example. Look at, this, uh, look at this triangle. Do we have this on the slides? We might not. There we go. This is what I saw when I uh, got into college. Pick two, social life, good grades, or enough sleep. You got to pick two. You got to know what you want going into it. Uh, it. It's true of your job. It's true of relationships. This is what people tell you uh, when, you're, when you're going into college. Um, your, your direction is what you, what you strive for and what you, what you pursue after. And then uh, we also talked a little bit about a foundation. We, can talk, uh, we talked about how it's easy in college to feel like you might have a lack of a foundation. You don't have a, a solid footing. You don't know when to put first things first. And a foundation might look something like this, uh, knowing, knowing where you come from. Have you guys heard that? Know where you come from. I had a, I had a friend who uh, every time he left the door of his house when he, was a, when he was a boy, his dad would say, hey, when you leave, remember who you are and whose you are. Uh, when I was younger... Uh, there were some things that I, that I uh, knew of the swings. I, as a swing, I come from this background. I come from this household. Here's some things I need to know. Swings, like board games, except for Monopoly because it ends in tears. Swings uh, often eat peanut butter on their pancakes. Swings, this is a big one. This was, my mom hammered this into us. Adam, swings don't wear socks with holes to friends' houses. That's a kind of something that's ingrained in me because it's my, it's my foundation. It's where I come from. I'm a swing. I know this is important. And that's what, I'm, that's what I want to talk about today. Our, our direction and our foundation both simultaneously help us to determine what is important in our lives. And so often we don't know what is important or we simply don't care about what is important. Um, there's a student that's been involved in the youth group, and uh, recently they stopped coming, and I, I asked them, I said, hey, how come, how come you don't come anymore? And they said, I just, I just don't want to. And it's, I was surprised at how difficult that was for me to argue with them at that point. I'm like, well, if they don't want to go, they don't want to go. It's, I can't really do anything else. And I said, is there anything that we can change or something that you would like to see different? And they're, no, no, not really. 
And so then I asked a follow-up question, do you think it's important to go to youth group? Or do you think it's important to have fellowship with, with fellow believers is really what I was asking, and they didn't respond. Uh, I think it might be true if we uh, are the type of people who come to church every once in a while. If I was to ask you, you know, why you might not be in church on a certain Sunday, I'm sure you'd have all sorts of uh, reasons why. But if I asked you, do you think it's important to be at church on a Sunday, something like that, I think that tells somebody a little bit more about what their heart is feeling towards coming and worshiping God as a group of believers. So today we're going to talk about both. We're going to talk about foundation. We're going to talk about direction. We're going to talk about what is important. And what's awesome is the great commandment is exactly that situation. It's exactly somebody coming and asking Jesus what is important. So if you would, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 22. We're talking about what is important. If you grew up in the church, you probably read uh, this scripture a thousand times. Um, and as is my custom, I like to have some questions or some some points as we go through it. So we have three. Uh, I, I learned one time that people tend to remember things better in threes, so it's easier for me. Uh, as we look at the, this passage, we're going to answer, what is the test? Second, what is the response? And third, what do we do? That's kind of our application as we, as we wrap up. First, what is the test? Then what is the response? Then what do we do? All right, I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, and then we'll go from there. But when the Pharisees heard that he, had uh, that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. All right, so first, what is the test? What is the test? Uh, verses 34 to 36. When the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. This is uh, at a point in time where Jesus has been, has been doing his public ministry for some time. He's preaching, he's teaching in, uh, in synagogues and on on um, the sides of mountains, and uh, he's gathered a, a large number of disciples as well as just casual sort of observers, and so Jesus is getting a lot of attention. He's casting out demons. He's performing miracles, and so people are generally interested in him, and that includes the higher-ups. That includes Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees at this time make up what was a, a sort of ruling class known as the Sanhedrin. And there are 70 seats and sort of a, a council on the Sanhedrin. And the Sadducees make up the majority of them, but they're very political. They, they care, uh, this is when Israel is under, under Roman rule, and they care about uh, doing right with Rome, making sure that Rome is happy. And the Pharisees are the minority, and they are a little bit more popular with the people because they are not Sadducees. And uh, they're a little bit more religiously focused. So they are focused on Scripture. They are focused on the Torah, the Old Testament law. And these two groups don't like each other because they, uh, they disagree on some doctrinal things. They disagree on what exactly was Scripture and how, uh, you know, how much emphasis we should put on, on oral tradition and things like that. And it says when uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So nothing brings people together 
quite like hating on Jesus, which is something I've, uh, I feel like I've learned recently. Uh, here's an example. Uh, who's heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper? Everybody has. That's really funny. Uh, Chip and jo- Joanna Gaines are under fire now because they attend a church where the lead pastor believes in a traditional view of marriage. And so people are, are rallying together and now kind of hating on Chip and Joanna Gaines and, and uh, uh, all sorts of stuff because of the beliefs of the pastor of the church that they attend. I feel like that's something that brings people together, hating on Jesus. And I say that because I think that should make Christians want to band together as well. Uh, verse 35, and one of them, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Uh, this is kind of a funny little note that it says a lawyer. It's not just one of the Pharisees asked him a question to test him. It's one of them, a lawyer, asked him, or asked him a question to test him. Uh, and so a lawyer uh, in this time, especially in this culture, is somebody who's trained. It's, it, they're trained in the law. They're very technical. They will study. Uh, Pharisees just in general would study the Torah, the Old Testament, from a young age, and they would teach it. They would uh, be a, a judge over, over matters related to the law. They would even have it memorized by about the age of 12. And so the law is something very important. Uh, I want you to imagine uh, if, if in the United States today, uh, Scripture was our Constitution, and that pastors acted as lawyers and legisl- legislators. This is a little bit of what it would have been like in that time. So having a lawyer is somebody who is an expert. So the Pharisees gather together and they pick an expert. Let's call him Kyle. Very good, strong Jewish name. An expert named Kyle. And Kyle is going to ask Jesus a question to test him. By the way, uh, Harper, Harper Lee wrote a book called To Kill a Mockingbird. And it has a great example of a lawyer and a guy named Atticus Finch. So if you've never read it, I, w- I would encourage you to do so. It's a classic. Uh, here's a quote from To Kill a Mockingbird. This is from Scout. Uh, this is uh, Atticus, the lawyer's daughter. I was becoming nervous. Atticus seemed to know what he was doing, uh, but it seemed like he'd gone frog sticking without a light. Never, never, never on a cross-examination ask a witness a question you don't already know the answer to. That was a tenet I absorbed with my baby food. Do it, and you'll often get an answer that you don't want, an answer that might wreck your case. If you've ever seen uh, any of those law shows on TV, like Law & Order or Boston Legal or something like that, you know that a lawyer will ask a witness questions that they already know the answer to. And so at this point, the Pharisees are pretty confident. They've got their best guy on it. They're going to ask Jesus a question, and they're going to test him. So that brings us to our first question. What is the test? What is this thing that they're, they're testing Jesus on? Well, Jesus was walking around. He's, he's preaching. He's teaching. He's doing his public ministry. And he's making enormous claims about that Torah, that Old Testament law that was so ingrained into society. And everyone knew the law, the Pharisees in particular. Everyone that knew the law would know that scattered throughout the Old Testament are promises for Israel of a Messiah, someone who is going to come and save them. And there are all sorts of, uh, dis- uh, dis- uh, there's all sorts of disagreement on, on what that Messiah would look like. Would he be a political figurehead? Would he be a military general or something that would come and save them and establish Israel uh, once again as sort of a, a crown jewel among the nations of, uh, of the Middle East and, uh, and of the world? And people disagreed. 
Um, but it also said that the, the Messiah would be a Savior, a literal godsend, who would save people from their sins and restore them to a right, a right relationship with God. And Jesus makes claims like this. This is what it says in John chapter 5. He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Remember, he's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to all sorts of people that know the law. They know the Old Testament. You think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus makes these grand claims. If, if you've ever opened up the book of John, you'll see these I am statements. Jesus saying, I am this, I am this, I am this. He's making all these grand claims, and he's saying, everything you know, Everything you know, Pharisees, everything you know, lawyers, everything you know, everyday citizens, about your Old Testament law has all got to do with me. So it's a pretty crazy, bold statement. And he is claiming now that he is the Messiah, and even further, he's claiming he is the Son of God. And you see this all over the Gospels. That he acts as if he has the authority to save people from their sins. And so for them to come and test him was very interesting. They saw before them a man in their midst, and if they got Jesus to maybe uh, emphasize certain parts of the law and not others, or, or diminish or demean some aspects of the law, they would have him. If they got him to trip up or make, make a mistake with regards to God's word, then it would prove that he wasn't the Messiah at all. He was just somebody who knew the law pretty well. If they got him to contradict himself in any way, then they would have him. And so it makes sense that they sent an expert, Kyle, to do this. And the, the great commandment, the greatest commandment, was hotly debated at that time anyway. He says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which isn't, uh, shouldn't be that surprising to us that they hotly debated that. Uh, imagine, if you will, a world where people look to Scripture, and they just kind of try to summarize it in one easy-to-follow statement or sentence because then it's easier to follow. We do that all the time. We pick and choose what we want out of Scripture. We do this kind of with our own laws, even. We pick and choose what we want out of God's Word. We favor some parts. We, we follow the ones we like. We don't follow the ones we don't like. And so it's likely that the Pharisees and those who debated the greatest commandment are the type of people that want to follow God, but with minimal effort. And I feel like we do that sometimes in our lives. And if they could drag Jesus down to that level of saying he wanted to follow God, but with completely minimal effort, that would disprove his claims that he was the Son of God after all. So this is the test. Is Jesus the Son of God? That's the test. Is Jesus the Son of God? Now let's look at the response. And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He doesn't feel the need to be original here. He quotes uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which is the Shema. It's probably the most famous Old Testament verse there is, uh, at least in this day. And it was this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So, uh, by the way, it's okay if John 3.16 is your favorite verse. Just because it is the most, uh, the most popular New Testament verse doesn't mean it's not okay for that to be your favorite. I feel like Jesus chose the, uh, 
the most popular Old Testament verse when he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Heart, soul, and mind, every facet of our human constitution should be dedicated and devoted to loving God, our head, our heart, our hands, the core of who we are, from our thoughts to our passions. Whether you're a thinker or a feeler or a doer, it doesn't matter. Uh, The core of who we are should revolve around loving God. So if you're an intellectual mind, if you're an academic, if you're a professor, uh, if you're a student, if you're just a passionate feeler who's a, a people person, if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, it doesn't matter. The core of who we are should revolve around loving God. We should all, despite our differences, have the same goal, the same objective in mind. The same great commandment. In 1648, there's a, uh, the Church of England put together something called the Westminster Catechism. The catechism is simply a statement of beliefs. We believe this, we say this, we, we adhere to this. And they had one that was called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was simply a shorter version of it. And this is what they would give children. And it was formed uh, in a, a, a sort of question and answer uh, uh, style. And the very first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is... Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The, uh, the Church of England at this time knew and understood that loving God was paramount to the Christian life. And that sounds easy so far. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. Remember what I said about knowing what's important. Uh, this is something that you could... Uh, Ladies, you could ask your husband this if your husband is reluctant to come to church on a Sunday morning. Husbands, you could ask your wives this if your wife is reluctant to to come to church on a Sunday morning. Do you believe this, that the chief end of man is to know God or is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Do you believe that loving God is paramount? Because if you do, then that will affect your behavior not just on Sunday morning but during the week. So I want to encourage you to love God. Love God. Sounds simple so far, right? Love God. Moving on. Verse 39. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, he quotes the Old Testament. This is Leviticus chapter 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then he says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, In Luke's account... Of this, uh, of this great commandment story. Uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, it, it, he, uh, it's followed up with the Good Samaritan story. Uh, the question is, who, who are our neighbors? Uh, and Jesus says, everyone, even our enemies, are our neighbors. Even the Clinton supporters, even the Trump supporters, even the people who adhere to different ideals of sexuality than we do, people that we hate, people that are hardest to love, these are our neighbors. These are the people that we are to love. And Jesus says that all of the Old Testament law can be summed up into these two statements. The whole of God's law can be summed up into this. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. And I say that this morning and it sounds so simple. It sounds almost easy. 
In, uh, in Mark's account of the story, the lawyer actually agrees with him. He says, well said, teacher. Good job, Kyle. Then the Pharisees pull him away, and they don't ask him any more questions. Dang it, Kyle, you had one job. <laughs> Jesus even said that that man was not far from the kingdom of heaven. Now whenever you read this, you're going to insert the name Kyle <laughs> into, into this story. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven if you love God and you love people. Love God and love people. If you think about it, we really do see this all over Scripture. If you look at the Ten Commandments, they can be organized into ones that are about loving God and ones that are about loving people. Tonight with the students, we're going to talk about uh, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who. And if you look at them, some of them have to do with loving God and some of them have to do with loving people. It's so simple, but it's not easy. It's so simple, but it's not easy. Love God and love people. So what do we do with this information? What do we do with the fact that we're supposed to love God and love people? Sometimes I feel like this can get incredibly out of balance. And this is what I talked about with the students at Malone. Sometimes this gets incredibly out of balance. We love God or somebody loves God so much that it completely eclipses loving people. Or somebody loves people so much that it completely eclipses loving God. Think about that for a moment. I want you to think about which is true in your life, if one of them or the other. Maybe you could think of some examples in, in other people's lives or uh, in history, some historical examples. Maybe you could think of some biblical examples. Uh, just in case we need to be assured that this is a real thing. Uh, this isn't just, I know you all can't, this is my theory, that, that one kind of eclipses the other sometimes. I know that's why you all came to hear Adam's theories. Uh, here's some examples of when loving God can eclipse loving others. Saul was a Pharisee. The Pharisees in general are people that were religiously zealous and devout. So much so that Saul, before he was the Apostle Paul, persecuted the church. Uh, we have the story of, of Jesus teaching in a house and the crowds are pouring in and the house is so full that some friends who have uh, a, a paralytic uh, on a mat, can't even get in. And people are so focused on turning and facing and listening to Jesus and, and loving God that they completely ignore the people. And so they end up lowering him through the roof. A historical example, the Crusades, is an example of loving God. We want to love God. It's all about God. Some of the greatest atrocities in mankind have taking place with the uh, banner of uh, all for God's glory. Um, Franciscan and Benedictine monks who uh, live in monasteries tend to isolate themselves from the rest of the world. They care so much about loving God that people don't really uh, take precedence in their lives. Westboro Baptist Church uh, this is a group of individuals who claim and say they, they care about God, they care about uh, who God is, but they picket, uh, picket funerals uh, of veterans with signs. Uh, and some of these are good examples. Some of these, I would say, are, are, are believers, are Christians, and some of these examples, I would say, are people that are not. Um, but I think that loving God can eclipse loving others. Here's some examples of loving others eclipsing loving God. Uh, when Mary and Martha host Jesus, Mary is at 
at uh, Jesus' feet, learning from him, listening to him, engaging with him while Martha runs around and cleans up the house and gets things ready. She completely neglected the fact that God himself was sitting there in the house. Judas is somebody that cared about uh, his country, cared about his nation, cared about his people, wanted to see this Messiah rise up, but he wanted to see them as a ruler, a leader, a political powerhouse, not somebody who would be like Jesus. He loved people, he loved others, but he completely neglected the God-man who was there with him. Uh, we see coexist bumper stickers. Uh, here Nowadays, we, we, we tell ourselves there are, there are many ways to heaven. There's not just one. Uh, the millennial generation cares so much about tolerance and loving people and caring about people that uh, spirituality doesn't play a role in their lives anymore. And this was especially uh, easy to talk about on a college campus because uh, I think sometimes uh, we tell ourselves that being good, being good people, loving others, being kind, being generous, being compassionate is enough for us. And this eclipsing has kind of always gone on. And what Jesus says when he says love God and love people is that they're not to be mutually exclusive. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. A love for God must inevitably f overflow outward into a love for people because ours is a, relationship, a relational God whose love overflows. Here's a couple more. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. John 13, 34, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Just as our love for God must overflow into a people, a love for people must find its roots in a relationship with a creator. And so what I'm here to tell you this morning is if you get by at church by coming and saying, oh, I attend church, but really what, you know, the important thing is, is I'm a good person. I love people. I care about people. That is not enough. It is not sufficient to only love people and ignore loving God. Similarly, if you have a very, very worn Bible and, and you know, everything, you know, you got the, the bulletins are all stuffed in there and you, you underline everything and you scribble everything and you love God's Word and devour God's Word, but completely ignore people, that is not right either. Simple, but it's not easy. I think sometimes in our lives we tend to emphasize one and neglect the other. In my own life, uh, I recall being in high school, and uh, I was all about loving people when I first, or, uh, loving God when I first got saved, loving God, and I ignored people. And my friends criticized me for it. They say, "Adam, you're so you seem so holier than thou." Uh, that's still, I think, um, where I struggle: loving people. That's probably mine. I think we need to be honest with ourselves this morning. That's, that's what I'm here to talk about. Uh, I think we need to be honest with ourselves and identify 
Which is it? Do we, do we prefer and prioritize loving God? Do we prefer and prioritize loving others? I would venture a guess to say that believers, Christian people, are the ones that would uh, be more likely to love God and neglect others. And those of you who are kind of on the edge of faith and you're maybe interested in Christianity uh, might be the type of people who care about others, care about individuals, are compassionate, are kind, are generous. But you're lacking a spiritual foundation, which is loving God. You're lacking a personal relationship with Him. It's not enough to serve and volunteer and give money, but not have a deeper uh, desire to go deeper with God. It's not enough to care about your own personal spiritual status before God and not want to share the gospel with others. So don't neglect people. If you're a believer, don't neglect people. Uh, I want uh, to bring your attention again to the lawyer. Consider Kyle. This is somebody who had no genuine interest in Christianity. No genuine interest in who Jesus was. Even had a diabolical intent in his heart to do the Pharisee's bidding and sort of test him. But even someone with no genuine interest or diabolical intent in Christianity can experience a change of heart when they see that true faith for the Christian is about loving God and loving people. Even, I'm going to repeat that, even somebody who has no genuine interest in Christianity, like this lawyer, can have a change of heart when they see that true faith is about loving God and loving people. My friends who are not yet believers, God is knocking at your door saying, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't ignore Him. Don't ignore your spiritual state. If you maybe are here for the first or second time uh, at Mission View, this is the kind of thing that we talk about. Loving God and loving others. You can actually even see it on our, on our sort of uh, mission statement here. Intimacy with God, community with others, influencing our world. I want to encourage you this morning, whether you're a believer or not, uh, to take an interest in loving God and loving people. If you're having trouble identifying which it is in your life that you need to focus on, ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask a friend. Let me pray. God, you are good and you love us. We love because you first loved us. Scripture says you are love. Uh, God, I pray that, uh, that we can love you. Um, I pray that we would not be so caught up in being good and moral people that we can love you. God, I also pray that uh, we can love others as you have loved others. Uh, if we are believers and we already know you and have a relationship with you, God, I pray that we can love your children. Sometimes that's harder for us. And God, as uh, the Pharisees wondered about Jesus, uh, is he really the Son of God? I pray that uh, one way we can better understand loving God and loving people is by looking at Jesus, fully God and fully man who was uh, born, lived, 
died on a cross and rose again so that we can have a right relationship with you. Thank you, God, uh, not just for the example, the moral example that Jesus gave, but for the, uh, the power that he has and the authority that he has to save us. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus because we know for you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son. Uh, God, we love you and we lift you up this morning. For that, in Jesus' name, amen.